If you have your Bible with you, find again with me the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We're going to pick up in chapter 4 and verse 12 in just a few minutes. Find that and hold your place there. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. And just hold your place there for a minute. You know that we have a new speaker of the house, Mike Johnson, uh, is now the speaker of the house in our Congress. And as soon as he uh, was chosen as Speaker of the House and talked about himself, his perspective, uh, he made clear what many who know him already knew is that he is a committed Christian. He talked about his faith, he talked about his worldview being a biblical worldview, and that uh, that shapes what he believes and how he practices law and how he uh, practices uh, politics as well. Well, not surprisingly, secularists and left-wing thinkers picked up on that and showed uh, great consternation with the fact that we have an outspoken Christian uh, leading uh, the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. Just as an example among many, former Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, made the statement that, uh, well, actually, she showed a, a, uh, an image of him on her show and on MSNBC. She showed a video, video of him talking about his worldview is a biblical worldview. And after showing the video, she said, pay attention to that. She said, the Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview. Uh, she said, it's, this is not a political ideology that should scare us. It's the fact that he's a Christian fundamentalist that she said should scare the American public. Now, she didn't bother defining what she meant by Christian fundamentalist. She just threw the name out, assuming it had a bad vibe with everyone, and it was an accusation that we would all go, ooh, that's a terrible thing. Uh, the role continues of criticism. Notice, not about his politics, and not about his leadership, and not about his statesmanship, but about his faith. That's the target. We live in an increasingly hostile world, but we have a living hope in Christ, and it's in that living hope, as Peter's been teaching us, we learn to navigate this increasingly hostile world that Christians live in. Uh, that, uh, this scenario with Mike Johnson and Jen Psaki uh, reveals a few things to us. Uh, the first one is how far we removed we are as a nation from the founders' generation and their establishing our nation on a biblical worldview. Uh, there was a time in which not having a biblical worldview would be the strange thing. And yet, even people without a biblical worldview, when that time came, uh, were generally accepted. Our nation's built on the values of a biblical worldview so that people understand it and they can function that way. And, and the belief the founders had was, let Christians be Christians. Let Jews be Jews. Let Bible believers be Bible believers, and the nation will be healthier for it. The nation will be better for it. And they embraced that biblical worldview. So one thing we find right away is just how far removed we are from that. Another thing we find is how very little Americans understand the Bible any longer. They just don't know the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. And when being a Christian and having a biblical worldview is tossed about in a pejorative manner and we, we are spoken of ill will just because we have a biblical worldview, what that tells you is they don't really understand the Bible. And the values of Scripture are healthy values for every American and every human being, not only those who embrace those values, but even those who don't, that live under those values and alongside them. But
But the third thing it reminds us of is what we've been seeing in 1 Peter all along and the, the discussion that's occurred over and over in Peter is that Christians will be ridiculed for no other reason than they are Christians. You'll remember as we, in this letter, we're moving toward the conclusion. We're rounding the bend of our study in 1 Peter. And so it's, good, it's a good thing to remember that he is writing to Christians that have for the first time since they embrace Christianity are being persecuted for their faith, run out of their homes, losing jobs, unable to buy in the marketplace, but mostly simply being ridiculed for their faith in the community and among their family members. This is new. This is not something they had experienced before. So Peter is writing to them, and as he does so, he is writing to all of us about how to respond in an increasingly hostile culture when you are ridiculed for your faith. And as we'll see this morning, he also gives insight on how to handle all suffering in our lives. Because Christian persecution is a particular extension of human suffering. It's a kind of suffering that applies to Christians alone. But it's part of all of suffering and the reason that we suffer in the first place. That is, we live in a fallen world. All human beings experience suffering, but Christians in particular experience persecution for no other reason than we are Christians. So Peter has that primarily in mind, that Christian suffering, persecution, because we are Christians, uh, uh, but it, un it, it takes into account the, the struggle, the agony of human nature in which we all suffer. So the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. In, P in the book of 1 Peter, in this letter we've been studying, Peter mentions suffering no less than 21 times in this short book. That's how dominant it is in his teaching and should be in our perspective. Our takeaway should be how should Christians particularly respond to suffering and specifically to persecution of any kind. So go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And as we round the bend toward the conclusion, Peter is going to cap off his discussion of, of Christian suffering. Uh, and in this, we learn something critical about the way God uses our suffering for his purposes. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. There's one basic point I want you to tuck away this morning. And that is God uses our suffering for his purposes. When we respond rightly, when we respond biblically to suffering, to ridicule, to persecution, whatever uh, way our, our suffering comes to us, whether it's physical illness, 
or spiritual persecution. God uses our suffering for his purposes when we respond biblically. When we respond in keeping with that biblical worldview. Uh, that refers to the way the Bible teaches us to see the world, to see our lives, to apply biblical values to our lives. And when we respond that way, God uses our suffering for his purposes. Now, what I don't want you to hear throughout this is that God uh, causes your suffering for his purposes. Because in truth, we all know we live in a fallen world. Suffering will happen. And that particular kind of Christian suffering, the Bible teaches, will happen. The Apostle Paul said, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Because the world doesn't like that. It may be something like name-calling. You may lose a job or an opportunity for a promotion. But it could become more severe, and it may, as the world becomes more hostile toward Christians. But if you desire to live a godly life for Christ, you will be persecuted. But in this world, all people suffer. We go through all kinds of trials and struggles. God speaks to our hearts about that. God lets us know in the Word of God how to respond to that and, and, and specifically how to respond to persecution and ridicule. And that's what Peter is talking about here. He starts off, did you notice, he starts off with, with the, the first command is, don't be surprised when this happens to you. He calls it a fiery ordeal that will test your faith. But he says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when you suffer. The early Christians in the first century who had just become Christians had come out of a favored status because nearly everyone in the non-Jewish world, in which, and that's who he's writing to, Christians who are not Jews, but everyone in that world had been pagans. They had worshipped multiple idols and worshipped together in the temple. Someone, often in debased, terrible ways, they would apply their what they called worship of their many gods. And in the Roman Empire, that was a favored group because they also worshipped the emperor as well. And as long as they did that, they were always favored. So here under conviction, these people come to faith in Christ. They, they repent of their sin of idolatry and they give their lives fully to Jesus Christ and become followers of the one Lord, the one Savior, Jesus Christ. And he starts to shape their lives and make them more and more like Christ and show the world that they are followers of Christ. And suddenly they find out they are no longer a favored group in the culture. Suddenly they are persecuted. Suddenly they have to leave their home. Suddenly their families ostracize them. Suddenly they have a hard time getting work. Peter says, don't be surprised by that. That's why it mattered to them in the first century. And often, we may experience similar things. But you know why it matters to us in the first century? Well, Peter says, don't be surprised that you might suffer for Christ. Don't be surprised. You know why Christians in the 21st century are so surprised? Because we are taught in our Christian culture that being a Christian means you will be content. You will always be healthy. You will always have money. You'll always get what you want. God will always answer your prayers just as you pray them, just as you desire. You heard that before, haven't you? The Christians are suddenly shocked and surprised when it doesn't go their way. God doesn't do what they want him to do. 
God doesn't give them what they want God to give them. And Peter says, don't be surprised. Especially, don't be surprised when you suffer for Christ. Don't be surprised because it's not as if you didn't know. The Bible's been telling you this. God's been telling you this. Jesus was executed. Now you're following him. And they executed him. Don't be surprised. The phrase translated, don't be surprised. Peter draws from that hospitality culture that we talked about a week or so ago. Here's the image. It's the image of you going to your door. The doorbell rings. You're not expecting anyone. And you go to the door and you open the door. And to your surprise, stands someone with their backpack and their suitcase ready to stay with you. And you are shocked and surprised. Now close the door, suffering and persecution rings the doorbell and you open the door and to your shock and surprise, you suffer for Christ. Peter says, don't be surprised. We told you it was coming. Don't be surprised. And then he says, instead, did you get this? Instead, rejoice. That's kind of hard to do. And the main reason to rejoice, he is teaching, is that God will use your suffering for his purposes. That suffering may be due to the fact you live in a fallen world, or more specifically, to the fact that you are a Christian. But God will use your suffering for his purposes. How does he do that? Let's consider it this morning. Three ways I want you to see with me that God uses your suffering for his purposes. When it happens... When it happens, God can use it. You respond as he wants you to respond, and God can use it. First of all, God uses our suffering to refine our faith, to refine our faith. Don't be surprised, Peter says, when this fiery ordeal comes among you. This cause God is using that to strengthen your faith, to refine your faith. Uh, the idea of a fiery ordeal doesn't apply to people being burned. It's actually, the image he draws is a standard ancient world Old Testament image of the refiner's fire. That sometimes our faith is tested in the refiner's fire of God's great work. And when he does that, and this is a common image in the Bible, he burns off the dross of sin and and uncertainty and doubt, and he burns away what he doesn't like and won't in our lives. And and through that testing time, through that suffering, God brings us through that, and he molds us in the fire of holiness, and we come out the other side more like Christ. He refines our faith. Peter says, don't be surprised when this ordeal comes, because oftentimes that's what God uses to refine your faith to make you more like Christ. That's why it's so important to trust him in the fire, to trust him in the difficult time, to make sure you are trusting him. God knows what he's doing. If you're going through suffering right now, remember, God knows what he's doing. His desire, the Bible teaches, is to make you more like Jesus Christ. And that's why, as we read it, Peter says, in as much as you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. In as much as you share the sufferings of Christ, Yes, because is it possible, think about this, is it possible to be like Christ and have no suffering? 
when his whole life was about his suffering for you and his resurrection that followed. Don't be surprised, Peter says, when God's going to, he's going to burn the dross off of your faith a bit. He's going to make it, he's going to purify it some. He's going to strengthen you in your faith and he may use suffering to do it. If you go through that time, you depend on him, you rely on him, you remember who he is, and God will take care of you. But don't be surprised. God will use your suffering to refine your faith. And secondly, he says, God will use your suffering to remind you of the facts. And this is where we have to remember that the way Christians respond to suffering should be different from the way the world responds to suffering. Again, we ask, ask and answer this question many times in this series. What difference does it make that you're a Christian? If you face suffering, if you face persecution or ridicule or heartache or, or illness in your life, what difference does it make that you're a Christian? So Peter says, here are some facts you need to remember. And God will use your suffering to draw you to him to remind you of these facts. Uh, the first one is the glory to come. The glory to come. That is, Peter reminds us that what we experience suffering in this life is a reminder of the glory to come. If we share the sufferings of Christ, we can rejoice in, the, in that. It means we will share his glory as well. We will be like him. We will participate with him in his glory and in his joy. This is unique to the Christian life. But understand, you live your life now in light of eternity, and when you suffer in this life, you suffer in light of eternity. You can anticipate going home to be with your Savior, and you can anticipate, anticipate participating in His glory when you have participated in His sufferings. Second, he says, it's a reminder of the presence of God. It's the presence of God in your life. You have that glory to look forward to, but think about right now, and you notice how he phrased it, the Father, God, rests on you in your suffering. It's another beautiful Old Testament image of God himself resting his favor on the people of God. And he's reminding these believers of, of the ancient days, while you may no longer have the favor of the culture, they may ridicule you, they may persecute you, but you're, you have the favor of your Heavenly Father. When you walk in the footsteps of Christ, when you respond to suffering as Christ has, when you honor and glorify God in your life, His favor rests on you. He is present with you. you know, the Bible teaches consistently this, this one primary promise for the believer. It's the number one promise for the believer in the whole Bible, all throughout the Bible. It's pretty simple, but very dramatic, and one we need to be reminded of over and over. You ready for it? God never leaves you. God never leaves you. Uh, that image of his favor, his person, resting on you, draws from a word Peter uses, uh, that refers to God beside you and around you, is fully with you in every respect. If you're going through suffering and trial, heartache, and difficulty right now, God hasn't abandoned you. You see, suffering is not a signal that God has abandoned you. Suffering is a reminder of God being present with you, that he's walking with you, 
that he cares about you. So the first fact to always remember in your suffering is the glory to come. The second one is the presence of God, the promise of his presence, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. The third one is the significance of suffering. The significance of suffering. And for a Christian, there we are again, the Christian suffers differently. The Christian responds biblically to our suffering. If you notice what Peter said, uh, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests. None of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. He says in verse 14, and, and again in verse 16, he says that name. What's he talking about? And then he refers, he says, if you suffer as a Christian. We're so accustomed to calling ourselves Christians, we forget that in the first century they were not originally called Christians. Believers in Christ were referred to as followers of Christ or just believers. And as a whole, they were referred to as the way. That is, they followed the one who said he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why there's only a few times in the New Testament the term Christian is even used and applied to the people of God and believers in Christ. And when it is used, drawn on in the New Testament, and pulled in from the culture, it's the culture that used it first, not believers in Christ. The culture called them Christians as a negative term, as an insult. The term Christian means little Christ. So they were insulting those Christ followers. Oh, you act like them. You, 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 you follow him. You're one of them. So Peter says, so what if they use that name? If you suffer for that name, if you suffer for being called a Christian, then suffer as a Christian. Suffer as one who is called to follow Christ, your, your response to suffering should be different than the rest of the world. And they're the ones that should be surprised in the way you respond to ridicule and persecution. Peter makes the point throughout the letter. If you're accused of anything, be accused of being a Christian. Here he says, not as a murderer, not as a thief, and not as a meddler. It's a word that some of your Bibles may translate differently because Peter invented it. And nobody really knows exactly what he had in mind. But clearly, clearly, he means something like a busybody or a meddler, sticking your nose into somebody else's business. In other words, if you suffer because you're a sinner, if you suffer, as anyone would, because of their sins, if you suffer because you're a criminal, that has nothing to do with your Christianity. Don't pat yourself on the back. And some of the Christians apparently were doing that. No, he said, if you, if you suffer, make sure you suffer because you're behaving like a Christian and you are doing what God has called you to do, the good things of God in Jesus Christ. Let them catch you in the act of being faithful to God. And if they so choose to persecute you for that, then so be it. Because you are caught being faithful to Jesus Christ. 
Not drifting back into your old sins, but living for Christ. And then fourth, the fourth fact he says to remember is the judgment to come. In your suffering, he says, remember the judgment to come. Those last couple of verses, 17 and 18, as, P as Peter nears the end of this discussion about suffering, they can be summarized very simply. If you are following Christ and saved by grace and you suffer, imagine what the judgment will be like for those who refused to follow Christ. You see, Peter likens the testing of your faith to a kind of judgment from God. But when you experience it, you know that you're covered by the grace of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you are governed by his mercy and his grace. You have trusted Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection as yours. And you live in that grace and whatever you suffer, whatever persecution, whatever illness, whatever harm in this life, you still know that God is with you. And he says that's a kind of judgment brought on the household of God. But he says, can you imagine what the final judgment's going to be like for those who refused Christ? So remember this, when you're facing your persecutor or when you're suffering in this life, remember that their judgment will be much harsher. And we don't say that vindictively. We don't say that cheerfully. We say that because they need Christ. They need the gospel. God can use your suffering, even now, for his purposes. He's refining your faith. Trust him. Deepen that faith. He's reminding you of the facts of biblical history, these facts of history. And then third, God can use your suffering for his purposes. And God uses your suffering to reassure you of his faithfulness. God uses your suffering and my suffering to reassure us of his faithfulness. Look at verse 19. So then, Peter says, after I've said all that, let those who suffer according to God's will, which means they're suffering for Christ, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Here it is, Peter says, at the end of it all, when you're asking why me, when you're uncertain about tomorrow, here it is. Entrust yourself. Give yourself. He will say it this way. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Cast yourself on the one who cares for you. Because your creator cares for you. Your creator stays with you. Your creator is walking with you through your suffering. So don't retreat from it, and don't retreat from doing the things of God, from living in the will of God, from walking with Christ. Don't retreat from that. If the culture's hard on you or the suffering is difficult, don't retreat from being faithful to him. Instead, entrust yourself to your loving creator while you continue to do what is good. That is, what Christians do. Live for Christ. Live for Christ. No one diminishes your suffering. Certainly the Bible doesn't. I don't. Peter doesn't. Your friends don't. We, we don't diminish suffering. We don't diminish ridicule. We know it's difficult. We know it's painful. We know some of us are brokenhearted. 
Some of us are going through trying times. We know these things. And if you're going through times like that, we can say to you, we are here today, not because we are great or not because we have never suffered, but because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. And in the midst of your suffering, your God will show up and he will reassure you that he is faithful to you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And when you suffer according to his will and his word, he will actually use that suffering for his purposes. To bring glory to God in all that you go through. Some of you may remember the Columbia shuttle disaster of 2003. Uh, the commander of the shuttle, Columbia, was Rick Husband. And uh, his wife, Evelyn, with their kids, were lined up with lots of families in Texas as they, as they were hearing the, over the intercom the exchange between uh, NASA and between uh, the shuttle commander, Rick Husband, and everyone on there as they were making their reentry into Earth. And the, everything was on target. Everything was going well. And they were expected just to come right in and land smoothly. And just like that, they went off the air. Uh, Mission Control lost radio contact with them, and they found out later the reason was that Columbia had exploded, and everyone on board had perished. Uh, Evelyn Husband said in, in those seconds, in those moments, the officials from NASA came, and they herded all of the families out of the way so the press would not see them when they received the inevitable tragic news that their family members were lost. And, and she said she knew. She, she, she'd been in this a while with her husband. She knew what was happening. And she said in that moment, in that instant, she knew also how she would respond. And this is what she said one year later in an interview. She said, Make no, there's no question about it. She said, I knew in that instant exactly how I would respond. I knew that my God was faithful. And I knew he would see me through this and see me and my kids through this because he had seen us through every crisis of our lives. And he is faithful. It's in those moments of suffering, heartache, difficulty, ridicule, whatever your suffering is, in those moments, God wants to reassure you of his faithfulness. Your God has not left you. You're not suffering because he's absent from your life or he's abandoned you. Whatever you're going through, God is with you. And he is faithful to you. So my question to you this morning is, will you entrust it to him? Will you entrust what you're going through to him? Will you entrust the refining of your faith to him? Will you entrust your struggles, your doubts, your uncertainties to him? Will you entrust to him your worry for tomorrow? Will you give to him even your battered faith? And trust him because he has not left you. And he is your creator who knows you better than you know yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, God, for this reminder of the very facts of our faith that you are doing a great work in our lives, God, and you could use even our suffering for your purposes. God, my prayer for all of us is first and foremost that if we are suffering because of Christ, if we're suffering because we are a Christian, maybe it's on the job, maybe it's name-calling, maybe it's being ostracized by a family member, maybe it's decisions that you're leading us to make and we're struggling with those decisions because 
It means leaving behind something we love or someone we love. God, if we're struggling because we are Christians, meet us right where we are. Strengthen our faith, God. Remind us that following Christ and doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. Remind us, God, that you have this in your hands and you have us in your hands. Remind us, God, of the facts of history and of your faithfulness in all that we've gone through. God, remind us of that today. I pray for those struggling and suffering today that we would entrust that to you. We would entrust our doubts, our struggle, our suffering to you today, God, our creator. And I want to thank you, God, for never abandoning us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. I thank you, God, for that. I pray, God, also for those who need to make fresh commitments to Christ today. Maybe you've been calling us out to ministry. Maybe you've been calling us out to join fellowship with this church or to make another decision. God, I pray for us today. We'd step out in faith. We would continue that right walk with Christ and, and be in His will day by day. I pray for those here and at home who may need Jesus as their Savior today. And I pray today would be the day they would trust Jesus Christ, give their lives to Christ, and choose to follow Christ today. And Father, I want to pray this simple prayer that those who would trust Christ today would pray this prayer in faith with me and put their faith and trust to Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I've tried. I've tried to be good. I've been religious. But Father, I know I can't do it. And Father, I repent of my sins and turn my life over to Jesus today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and he is alive today. So Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. And today and every day following, I will follow Christ as my Savior. God, be with us in this moment as we make decisions, Father. Nail down decisions we've already made and make those commitments. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.